always smile when I sing that carol when it mentions that then entered the wise men three. Well, we don't know that there were three wise men, to be honest with you. The only reason we, we say that there are three, or people say there's three, is because there were three types of gifts. There could have been one, there could have been, oh, there was nothing be more than one, because there were a number of them. But we don't know if there were three, four, five, six, could have been ten, who knows. Um, just a bit of a side thing for you this morning. I hope you've uh, had a good week and uh, that you're ready for the Word of God. And uh, I'd like you to open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, we'll read from verse 2 to 11 this morning. A fairly familiar passage for most people. Matthew chapter 4, verse 2. Let's uh, read together. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And the devil taketh him up into the holy city, and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain, and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them, and saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan. For it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. Let's uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, once again we come before your throne and we, uh, we ask for your grace. We ask for your wisdom and your knowledge. Lord, that we might apply to our lives, that we might grow and give you glory. Lord, help us to be focused this morning. Help us to be focused and to have our ears open and our hearts open to your truth. Lord, I pray that you would use me for this purpose, that I I might deliver the words that you would have me speak. And Father, in all things, we pray that the name of our Saviour would be lifted up in this place this morning. It's in his name I pray. Amen. I was invited to a party this week. Well, it wasn't really a party. Um... Some of you might know that, that we've been contacted by the detention centre up here in uh, Broadmeadows because there are some people who are in that detention centre who have come from overseas who are, call themselves Christians, let's say, and they're looking for a local church to come and uh, worship in. I was invited for an, a Christmas thing. I'll call it a thing because I don't know really what it was, to be honest with you. Um, they had a band playing at the front, I don't know what, because they weren't carols or they weren't anything like that. They had a, a local band playing, they were just playing random music. Um, but when I arrived there, and it was the first time I've, I've been inside with other people, it's the second time I've been there, um, it was an invitation to all the helpers, all the people that volunteer to help over there. So there were a number of other people in there, and so I, I didn't know anyone, to be honest with you. I was introduced to a couple of people, but I sat down next to a man, found myself a seat, and I thought, how long am I going to be here for? 
But I sat down, I thought, all right, I'll make the most of it. So I sat down next to a man, he looked Middle Eastern descent, and I started to, um, I thought I'd introduce myself and started to have a conversation with him and just see what's going on, because it was, people were just walking around and, uh, and just uh, getting to know each other or catching up. So I introduced myself and I said, hi, I'm, my name's Frank, what's your name? And he said his name was Muhammad. I said, okay. And so we started a conversation. I said, what do you do here? Do you, are you, are you in here or are you, out, are you out from outside of here? He goes, oh, no, no, I'm a volunteer. And I said, what do you do? He said, I'm an imam. Okay, well, an imam is a, a, a Muslim priest. Okay, an imam is a Muslim priest. So it's, it's the same as a priest in the Catholic Church. I said, oh, okay. He goes, and he asked who I was. And I said, I'm a, I'm a Baptist pastor. And he goes, oh, okay. <laughs> so... We started this conversation. I thought, God, all right, you've put me here. Now what am I going to do? All right. So I started to ask him about how he became an imam. I said, how did you become an imam? And he told me a bit about his story. And um, at one stage I said to him, do you, are you able to marry other people? He goes, yes, I'm married. And I, and I didn't mean that. I mean, was he able to, did he have a license? And I kept asking the same question over and over, but he didn't quite understand. And then, and then he says, yes, I'm married. He goes... The Quran says that it's the right thing to do for a man. God created man to, to be married to a woman. I said, okay, yeah, I, I could agree with that. And I think he, started, he wanted to start a discussion about why it was wrong for priests not to get married in the Catholic Church. I think he, he didn't quite understand what a, who a Baptist or what a Baptist pastor was. So as he started to, to discuss and say, oh, it's wrong that, you know, that that people who are priests, you know, shouldn't be married. I think he'd been in this discussion before by the sounds of it. He's halfway into it and I said, I'm married. <laughs> he didn't know what to do at that point. So we changed the discussion again, okay? <laughs> but we went, from, we went from one topic to another and, and, and to another and I asked him, I, was, I, I, I thought, Lord, what do, you, what do you got me here for? You know, I, I'm having a discussion with a Muslim priest here, Okay. Um, but I thought, I've got a few minutes. I only had about half an hour or so, so I thought, I'll, I'll have this conversation. While I was having a conversation with him, he, he, was, he was explaining you know, what the Quran taught about angels, because it, uh, it the subject came up again, about angels and the devil and that sort of stuff over there. And he was explaining to me how they have three types of beings. They have, they have angels, they have men who were created from the earth, but they also have things called jinn. Right, so I think we get the name genie from, right? And these things can be either good or bad. So in their in their economy, they have all the angels are good, all the people are like half and half, and the jinn, which are standing in the middle, um, are half and half as well. They could be either good or bad, and could even change. I said okay, and I said, and I told them the Bible teaches that there are only two classifications: there are either angels or men. Anyway, but I felt at some points when he was starting to explain something, my my flesh starting to rise. You know, you know when you know when someone's telling you something that you know is wrong, and and you want to start saying something. Okay, all right. Now, I had to hold my flesh down because if I jumped in without allowing him to express what he wanted to say, I would have probably either gone into an argument or created some sort of tension which I didn't need, which he we didn't. I wasn't looking for. But for some reason, God wanted me there with him. Now, by the end of it, by the end of it, I gave him my card. And I said, if you ever want to grab a coffee outside of here and, have, and continue the discussion, um, more than welcome to. He goes, yes, I'm going to do that. So 
Okay, so I said, all right, Lord, if that's what, if that's what your will is, that I continue the discussion with this man after. And I think, I think in his mind, because he was getting quite, he was getting quite in, enthusiastic about this conversation with me, I think he thought to himself, because I was listening to him, that he, maybe he was, had a chance of converting. Right? <laughs> but I thought, okay, I'll, I'll, if he, that's what he thinks in his mind, that's okay. I haven't got a problem with that. If he thinks he's going to try and convert me, that's, that's not a problem. Because I have no, it's not as if I'm going in there with any fear of being converted. <laughs> Um, but I could have, in a sense, if God wanted me to, to listen to what he had to say without telling, the, telling him the obvious truth that he was wrong, then my flesh could have actually risen up and actually destroyed the whole, the whole situation, if you understand what I'm saying. Okay? Um, by the same token, there was another man who was listening to our conversation who was sitting in front of us. Okay? And... He obviously thought that that guy was going to convert me as well because I was simply listening most of the time. So he turned to me when the other guy turned around to talk to someone else. He goes, the Quran is not the same as the Bible. <laughs> I said, I know. I said, I know that. He goes, very, very bad. <laughs> I said, yes, I know that too. I said, that's okay. I said, what, where are you from? He goes, I'm from Iran. And I said, what are you doing here? He goes, we've, we've run away. And I said, what are you? He goes, Catholic. I said, okay. I said, what are you, what's it like? I said, are there Catholics in Iran? He said, yes, there's about 300,000 of them. And I said, what's it like over there? And he said, it's no good. He goes, you can't go to church without being assaulted or, or ridiculed or threatened or whatever. So he goes, we have to have church in our home. I said, Okay. Now, I don't know if the Lord wanted me there for that imam or for that man or maybe for both, okay? So what I'm saying to you is we need to be careful sometimes when, we, when we're with people that the flesh doesn't take precedence over the, over the actual spirit. Do you understand? The flesh always wants to fight. The flesh always wants to be satisfied. It wants to have the last word. It wants, it wants to win every time. Okay, so whether that's an ego or pride or whatever you want to call it, um, the 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 feelings that I was getting during the conversation when I knew he was saying something obviously wrong, and I had and and the the desire to correct him at that point would not have achieved anything at that point. I had a few minutes with the guy. I wasn't going to convince him in a few minutes, but I I knew that God had me there for a reason. God, there's no coincidences with God. Okay. Well, the, the few little seeds that I may have planted will maybe sprout later on. Someone else might get to water those, you know what I mean? Or I might get to water them myself and see where the Lord takes it. So today I want to, I want to talk to you about the flesh. Um, we've been talking about Satan and we're speaking about uh, his position, where he's come from, what his goals are, how he tries to, to, um, uh, to keep man in bondage. And today I want to speak to you about, I want to start the next three sermons about how he does that and how he uses our own flesh against us. Because all he's got to do sometimes is just scratch a little bit with that flesh. And you know how we respond? Ever heard of Pavlov's dog? Okay. Some of you have done psychology. You know what Pavlov's dog is. It's a, you can condition a dog to basically to, to react a certain way, okay, um, simply by repeating a certain a certain thing so he knows if there's food if there's food coming condition him you can get the same response every time like, like a conditioning thing the devil knows our weakness 
Okay? Sometimes we, we actually underestimate him, but he knows our weaknesses, and our weakness is the flesh. We carry around this thing okay, with us, and we'll carry around with us till we die. All right? Um, all we're, like I said, all we're raptured. And he'll always try and poke at that particular part to see if he can get us to respond in a certain way. And sometimes he's conditioned us so well that we respond every time he pokes. So my, my uh, sermon today is going to be about that, about what to look out for, what the weaknesses in the flesh are, and how the devil tries to poke us and to get us to respond in a certain way. So I'd like us to, uh, to learn about that so we don't respond like, like a, a conditioned animal every time. To understand our own flesh, understand its weaknesses, is beneficial for us. But if we understand our enemy and how he tries to, how he tries to, to uh, manipulate us through, through that, uh, that avenue there, is beneficial for us to understand. So you're going to hear a lot of threes today. There are three enemies that the child of God has in their life. There are three things that we must battle and we must resist in our lives. Three, okay? These, these three operate in the, in the spiritual realm, although they are connected to the, the physical world. The first is the world. The world, okay? The second is the flesh. And the third is the devil himself and his kingdom, all right? So we have the world, the flesh... And the devil. You can put them in any order you like. All right. You can say the flesh, the world, and the devil. But they're the three that we must. The Bible says that we must resist. Okay, in our lives. Why do we need to resist them? Because those three are our enemies. Okay, they are our enemies, and one of those enemies lives already. I'm carrying it around everywhere I go. The other enemy is out there, and the other enemy is working in in secret in the background. Okay. So let me give you some let me give you some definitions here. The world. When I say the world, I don't mean everything that's physical and everything, every tree and plant or or, or job or whatever else. It's not that. The world is that realm that has subjected itself to the principles of Satan's kingdom. All right. The the world is the realm that has subjected itself to the principles of Satan's kingdom. It's a system that has rejected the sovereignty of God has rejected his rule and his authority. It's a system that is highly organized and it's organized on ungodly standards and selfish principles. In other words, it puts the individual first before God. This is a system that we see at play around, with, around us every day with the way people think, with the lies, the deceptions, the motivations that we see in people's lives. And unfortunately it often gets in the church as well. Okay? So the selfishness and the lies, the deception, the self-deception, with which most people have in the world, is often brought into the church as well. On the contrary, the child of God okay, is a citizen of the kingdom of God. Right? Now, understand this. There is the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. There is the kingdom of Satan. Okay, that's what when Jesus says to the Pharisees who were trying to accuse him of um, uh, casting out devils by the power of the devil, he says, if, if the kingdom of Satan is against the kingdom of Satan, how can his kingdom stand? If Satan is against Satan, how can his own kingdom stand? Satan has a kingdom. 
Okay, and that kingdom is an invisible kingdom, an angelic realm of those fallen angels that have fallen from heaven. There's a heavenly kingdom though, okay, with Jesus Christ as the king of that kingdom. So there are two invisible kingdoms that we can't see. What we see is the world. The world around us is generally fits into Satan's kingdom. This world, its principles, its guidelines, the motivations of people have subjected themselves to the kingdom of Satan. All right? So there's a kingdom of Satan, there's the world, and guess who's a citizen of that world? The flesh. Is that simple enough for you? All right. On, on the contrary, there's the kingdom of God, but the world at the moment is not falling under the kingdom of God. We are the citizens of that kingdom, all right? But we live in a world that has subjected itself to the other kingdom. So we don't live in a world that we belong to. We live in enemy territory. And I'll show you a bit, a bit about this later on. So the child of God is a citizen of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, one that recognises God's right to rule. It recognises Jesus Christ as the rightful king of that kingdom. A child of God submits himself or herself to the king of that kingdom and seeks the advancement of that kingdom in this world. The child of that kingdom lives according to godly principles described in the word of God, where self is put in a position of service and obedience to God rather than either to the flesh or to the devil. Thus, we have the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of God. We have the world which is unknowingly or knowingly in league with Satan's kingdom. Men and their desires and dreams, their politics and their systems generally fall under the world which is under the kingdom of Satan. So then we have the flesh. We have to contend with the flesh. The flesh is that part of us. Unfortunately, we carry it around with us that is fallen and unredeemable. It can't be fixed. Sorry. When God gave us a new nature, he basically said, I can't fix that old nature. I can't fix it. It has to be destroyed. It has to be thrown away. It's unredeemable. It's fallen. It is a part of us that fits into the world. Is that fair enough? It's the part of us that was the citizen and still is the citizen of this world. It, can't, it isn't made for heaven. It can't fit into heaven. It will not subject itself to heaven. I'll give you an illustration. So let's say you, were, you grew up in a foreign country and you were there till you became an adult. So you learnt that, 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 that country's language, its customs, its traditions the food and the whole, everything else that goes with it, okay? So let's say you then move at 40 years of age to another country. Like, let's say you've gone from India to Australia or Italy to Australia or whatever else it is. How likely are you to then become a full citizen of that country? How comfortable will you be? Will you immediately adopt all the, all the foods and all the language and the customs and whatever? No. You're going to bring along with you most of those things to the new country. Sure, you might on, on, the, on the periphery change some of the things you do to fit in with that culture, but deep down, you've still got the old, the old one in you. 
the language is still in your head. The food that you'll probably start missing, okay, that you've grown up with will still be in your thoughts and in your memories. The families, the customs, the traditions will still all be there. That's the flesh. The flesh was a citizen and is a citizen of this, of this world. And when God introduced a new nature in us, that flesh doesn't want anything to do with it. It can't be redeemed. It's like, it's like someone who does not want to take on a new, a new role or a new custom. Okay? So, the flesh that resides within us, which is the original us, to be honest with you, it's that original us, has its customs, its language, its desires and the things of the world. And it can't be changed, it can't be improved, it can't be redeemed. When a person is born again, God plants a new nature in, in, that, in us. He plants a, a brand new nature in us. And the Bible says that our spirit, which was dead, is quickened. God made alive because of the Holy Spirit. So thus we are a new creature in God. Where there was no spiritual life before, all of a sudden God brings life. Like life from the dead. Yeah? So turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let's, we just, I'll show you, I want to show you a few examples of these. Just to help you understand that in every Christian there are two natures now at war with one another. One is the flesh, the other is the spirit. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16. All right. So wherefore henceforth know we no man after the flesh? Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So when a person puts their faith in Christ, the Bible says that that person is taken and put in Christ. It's a bit like being put in the ark, you know, with, with, uh, with Noah. All right. Once you're in Christ, you are in. You are safely in the ark, and and God will keep you safe until He takes you home. All right. So that implants a new nature in us. We are a new creature. All things for us have become new. We no longer see the world and see Jesus through the flesh the same way we did before. Okay. Before. Our eyes, the way we saw the world, the way we thought, the way we acted, our motivations, our desires, were all through the lens, were all through the lens of the flesh. So you could only see the world in one particular way, and it was almost always through selfishness, through sin, and through the motivations of the world. Okay? All of a sudden, God puts a new nature in us, and all of a sudden, we see the world very differently. We see Jesus differently. We see people around us differently. All of a sudden, the world the way it was before doesn't make sense to me anymore. Because you know why? Because there's a new person living in me. It's a new person that God's put in there. And that person is a citizen of heaven. No longer a citizen. That, that being is no longer a citizen of the earth. Okay? So we know now all of a sudden, hang on, there's something wrong over here. I don't quite fit into this place anymore. I don't fit the way I used to before. Before I used to fit so well. I used to do everything that they did. I was so comfortable in doing it. I was so at home. Now all of a sudden I'm not at home anymore. 
When someone says, oh, why don't you come and do this with us? I go, no, I can't do that anymore. Things that I was comfortable with before, I'm no longer comfortable with. Why? Because God put his nature in me. And that nature can't die. That's the part of me that will never, ever die. And when one day I'm taken up, when I'm raptured and God takes me home or I die, that's the nature that stays. That's the nature that will stay forever. That's the nature that's connected to Jesus. Turn to John chapter 3, verse 5 with me. So I need you to understand very clearly this dichotomy or what's, what's, what's the difference between these two things. They are opposed. They're opposite things. John 3, 5. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Now, you'll notice in your Bibles, if you have a good Bible in your hand, you will notice that it says in verse, uh, verse uh, 5, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit. Your Bible should have a capital S there. Okay? If it's a capital S, that's the third person of the Trinity. That's the Holy Spirit. Okay? So... To be born of the Spirit of God means that He's the one who gives, gives birth to our new, our new uh, nature. Okay? It's through the Spirit of God that our spirit is made alive, which was dead. Then in verse 6 it says, That which is born of flesh is flesh. So the flesh can only give rise to the flesh, but look what it says there again. That which is born of the capital S spirit is spirit, small s, which means God, the Holy Spirit, gave birth to my spirit. He actually made my spirit, which was dead, alive. Okay? So, there's two things, the flesh and the spirit. To be born of water, by the way, is to be born of natural means. Right? So, you're, 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 you need to be born of water, obviously, when, you're, when your mother's water's broke. You were born physically. But then the Spirit of God, if you've put your faith in Christ, gives you birth spiritually. So there are two things, the flesh and the Spirit. Now go to Romans chapter 8, verse 8. So I want you to understand something. When Jesus says that a man, except a man be born again, or born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God, there needs to be a second birth. If you want to be saved, if you want to enter into heaven, you need to be born a second time. You need to be born again. And that birth comes from the Spirit of God. And that birth comes by faith in Jesus Christ. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 8, just to, just to labour on this particular point. So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. If you're not born again, you don't have the second nature, you can't please God. You're in the flesh, you can only think like the flesh, you can only live like that. Verse 9, but ye are not in the flesh, the Apostle Paul says, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. 
Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So unless you're born of the Spirit, unless you've been born again, you can come to church every week. You can read the Bible 10 hours a day. You can do all these things. You can give your body to be burned. You can give all your money away to the poor. You can spend your life helping people your entire life. If you haven't been born again, you are none of Christ, which means you can't enter into heaven. You are still in the flesh. Do you get that? Because the flesh can't be saved. The flesh is not redeemed. It has to be destroyed in the end. And God will destroy both it and the world, which is, which is a citizen of. So there are two. There's the flesh and there's the spirit. Now we carry around the flesh, but we no longer belong to it. We are no longer, we don't have to be subject to it. We carry it around, but the Bible says we need to keep it down. We need to keep it in subjection. All right. So there are two opposite things. The flesh is subject to the world, and the spirit within us is subject to the heavenly kingdom. And one day... This spirit within us will be separated from our flesh and God will give us a whole new body. We had this discussion uh, on, a Wednesday, on a Wednesday evening. When someone dies now, if a believer dies now, the Bible says that they're immediately with the Lord, right? So when you die, you are immediately with Jesus. Good news, all right? But you haven't got a body. See, God didn't make us angels. God made us humans. And there's a distinct reason why we, why we are different to the angels in that we were created in the image of God and we were created tripartite beings. Body, soul and spirit. Okay, When Adam and Eve sinned, their spirit died. They were left with a soul and a body. Okay, The spirit was the part of them that connected with God. It was a connection point. It was their ability to be able to see things from God's lens, right? When, the Holy, when a person is born again, he revives that spirit, okay? But the flesh can't stay. It can't hang around. It's bad. It's corrupted. So when a person dies, the flesh stays. It gets buried in the ground, correct? So the other two go to be with the Lord. But we aren't complete in heaven. Now, person, I think one of the questions on Wednesday night was, but what do we feel like? Do we feel as if something's missing? Maybe. I don't know. I know we're going to be in it's, it's bliss up there. But the Bible says that God's preparing a new body for us as well. Because eventually, for God's redemption plan to be fully realized, he has to give us a new body as well. So we are back to being tripartite beings in the image of God. Is that fair enough? When we get that, I'll explain it all to you later. All right? Another sermon for another day. So we have two enemies so far, the world and the flesh. Those two we need to continually contend with. One is out there, which influences the flesh. The flesh wants to continue to be part of it. It wants to be connected to it. As we pull away, as we draw it back, it's a bit like you know, dragging back someone who's, who's desperately trying to cling to what the world, what it had before. It doesn't want to give it up. So we're continually trying to drag this thing back. It's not completely dead yet. And the final one is the devil. He's the one in that spiritual kingdom that's manipulating the whole thing in the background. He uses the world to manipulate our flesh. Do you get that? 
So there's a spiritual kingdom which he's king of, his own kingdom. He's got the world in subjection to him, and then he uses the elements in the world to actually break through our weaknesses and our weak points, which I'll explain to you in a minute. So the final enemy is the devil himself, okay? And he stands opposed to the rightful kingdom of God. The very reason that the world um, is mentioned in the scriptures as against, is against the children of God is that the devil has dominion of the world. The Bible says that he is the God of this world. He is the God of this world. He is the one, ultimately, that people worship. Whether they believe in a God or they don't believe in a God, whether they call themselves atheist or Muslim or whatever other religion you want to say, okay, ultimately, what they're, who they're following and who they're worshipping is Satan. They may not have to pronounce his name. They don't have to be Satanists doing strange things and, and, and doing strange sacrifices. But ultimately, whether they say they believe in God, whether they don't, they are ultimately following him and his system. Because... Satan's main commandment to everyone is do it whichever way you want. Is that fair enough? Do what thou wilt, according to Satanists, shall be the whole of the law. Do what thou wilt. Do what you want. Do it your way. Because when you do it your way, you know who you're ultimately saying God is? You. And Satan's happy about that. You don't have to be bound the knee to him. If he's got you doing it your own way, if he's got you believing that you are the ultimate authority and you make decisions for yourself and you don't have to subject yourself to, to some of the things that God wants you to do, then he's got you exactly where he wants you. Do it your own way. doesn't matter whether you believe in him or not. He doesn't care. He couldn't care an iota about whether you believe in him, whether you follow him, whether you believe in God, you don't follow God. You could be the most religious person in this world. If he's got you doing it your own way, then he's got you exactly where he wants you. And you are part of a world system which has rejected the authority and the sovereignty of God. The devil has dominion of this world. And he's had dominion of it since Adam and Eve. And the flesh that we have, unfortunately within us, wants to be, continue to be subject to it. Thus, if Adam and Eve had never sinned, let's imagine this for a moment. If Adam and Eve had never sinned, the world as we know it would have been perfectly subject to the kingdom of heaven. right? Instead of the kingdom of Satan. And man... And all the institutions and all the motivations would have been also subject to heaven. But at the moment, we don't see that. We see a world that is completely against God. We see us struggling every day, fighting in a, in a world that is opposed to what we, what we believe. Why is it difficult to be a Christian? I'm telling you why. Because we're behind enemy lines. And God's put us here as lights. In the middle of a battlefield, that's why we have to put on the whole armour of God. So if Adam and Eve hadn't sinned, the world we'd, as we know it would be completely different. But we know now that we have no home here. The Bible tells us this is not our home. In fact, that's why the Bible teaches that God has to make a whole new world. A whole new world. This world will be destroyed by God, by fire. And God will make 
a new heaven and a new earth. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is a great chapter on faith, on, on faithful men. The Bible uh, gives us examples to us to motivate us to be more faithful ourselves. And it says in uh, Hebrews chapter 11 verse 13, these all, all these faithful men, Hebrews eleven thirteen, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. In other words, their home wasn't here. They had to keep moving. They didn't fit in. Verse 14, For they that say such things uh, declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is, an heavenly. Wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. Yeah, it's a place called New Jerusalem. No? When, when Jesus says, I'm going back to the Father, he goes, and it's good that I go back, he goes, don't be afraid, because I'm going back to prepare a place for you. Hmm? I'm going home to prepare a place for you. So have faith in me. I'm going, I'm going up there to prepare a place for you. That's New Jerusalem. God is preparing a city, an amazing city, for the people who actually trust in him. And he says, it says here, he's not ashamed to be called their God because they're looking, they're looking forward. They know that they don't belong here and they're looking forward to a new country, a new place where they can, be, where they can enjoy their citizenship. See, we're, we're citizens of heaven already. But the Bible says that we are also ambassadors. An ambassador doesn't live in his own country. An ambassador is one who actually lives in a foreign country. And that's exactly who we are. We're ambassadors in a world that is very hostile to us. So we battle against our own flesh. We battle against and must resist a world system which continually lures our flesh. But the highest power which stands above this corruption is the system of the devil. His invisible kingdom, which has been the focus of his last seven sermons. Our ultimate battle is against the devil. We might be resisting the flesh, we might be resisting the world, but ultimately, who we're resisting is Him. That's why Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Not, we don't wrestle against, uh, against the flesh, against other people. We don't argue with them. We don't have to. But against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world against the rulers of the darkness of this world. That's who we're, we're contending really with. It's a spiritual battle against spiritual wickedness, the Bible says, in high places. We can't see it, but we don't have to see it, no? because God sees it. And I truly believe that there are angels and things that, that work in our favour, and the Spirit of God continues to work within us to defend us, to help us, to guide us. But, we are, we are living in a minefield. I'll be honest with you. We live in a minefield in this world. 
And the devil will do everything he can to get us off the path that God wants us to go down to step on a mine and find ourselves in, in, in a pretty bad place. The good news for every believer, the good news in the midst of this difficult picture is that even though there is a wrestle, see it says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against these, these powers, is that there is an expectation and the belief from God that we can have victory in our lives. Do you believe that? Unfortunately, many Christians don't live that life that way. Most Christians live defeated lives. They don't really, if you look at the, the, the fruit of, of their lives, it's almost like they expect failure. They expect to fall. They expect not to have success in God's kingdom, to have victory in this world. But the Bible says clearly that you can. You can have victory in this world. The things that you think you can't beat, God has already beaten for you. The thing that you think has defeated you and, and you can't actually, uh, you find no solution for, guess what? With man, things are impossible, but with God, everything is possible. So don't give up. Because the Lord expects you and I to have victory in the world. Turn to Romans chapter 6, verse 12, and I apologise because I'm not going to get to finish the sermon today. Romans chapter 6, verse 12. The Apostle Paul tells us here, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. That's the, the, the flesh that we live in. That they should obey it in the lusts thereof. Neither yield ye your members. That means my arms, my legs, the, the, the things that I work with, okay, as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. But yield yourself unto God as those who are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. Sin, do you hear that? Shall not have dominion over you. It shall not have dominion over you. Too many Christians live as if they are under the dominion of sin. That they can't fight it. That they've given up this fight. Romans Go back. Let's go back to verse 6. Romans chapter 6, verse 6. Why did Jesus die? It says, knowing this, that our old man, that's the, the flesh, is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. You don't have to serve sin. You don't have to succumb to it. You can have victory over it and every part of it. Yes, there's a struggle. Yes, there's a wrestle. But you don't have to succumb. If you continually succumb to sin, let me explain to you, it probably means that you've thrown down your defensive weapons and offensive weapons. And you've made yourself susceptible. We're going to look at a different, a different uh, sermon that speaks about putting on the whole armour of God. Okay, most of you know that passage very well. If you continually are falling under sin, 
I will submit to you that you've probably laid down your, your helmet, your breastplate, your shield, your sword. You've put them down. You've given up fighting. So you're an easy prey and an easy target. Now where you continually fall is because you're not actually standing up. Romans chapter 8, verse 35. Just turn there. Just for one more example of that. If you're struggling, let me explain to you this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. You like that? Does that make sense to you though? From a worldly perspective, we're slaughtered every day. Christians, we look at the Middle East, are being slaughtered. The Apostle, Paul has, the Apostle Paul says here, we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. For thy sake, for God's sake, we're being killed all the time, Lord. Then he says we're conquerors. Doesn't seem, does it match to you? We're conquerors because in the end, once you are in Christ, once, once you've actually been genuinely born again, you've already won. You can't lose. He's won the battle for you already. So if you think to yourself, oh, woe is me because I can't, I'm not keeping up with this world and things are looking so bad and I don't know how to deal with all these struggles, Lord. Remember who you are. Have you forgotten who you are? You're an ambassador of God to this world. You are more than a conqueror in Jesus Christ. We are only a few that have been redeemed from this world and have an eternal city waiting for us. There is no one that can take away what you have. You have angels at your protection who watch over you day and night. You have the Spirit of God within you, a new nature that is just like His. There is no one who can kill you. Nobody who can kill you. And even if you die in this world, hey, we're in a better place. If you die for the Lord, you've won. Don't you think? Don't you think that? And we live in, sometimes we look at our times and we say, the end of the world must be coming very soon, Lord. There's so many bad things happening around us. We look at the moral decay in society, and I'd agree with you, the society is not looking too good. But can I just, before we go there and spend all that time and energy looking at that, can I please remind you? That when the apostles, when the church was starting, they were lining up Christians down the streets of Rome on pickets and lighting them as torches. When was the last time you saw that here? They were being thrown to lions. They were being beheaded. They were being slaughtered all over the place. Now, if you were living in those times, you'd think, Lord, you're coming soon. We have not resisted sin unto death. Not even close, guys. Not even close. In fact, our biggest, our biggest hurdle that we have 
is that we live in a country that is so easy. It's so easy here that the, that the, the, the biggest temptation we have is just to be easy, to be lax, to take our time, to not see that people are dying every minute out there. And to think to ourselves that we can just play this game of going to church and, oh, yeah, I wouldn't look in front of everyone else. I'll go to church every Sunday. You know, if someone asks me, I'll tell them, you know, I'll tell them what they want to hear. I won't really share with them what's really going on deep down inside over here. Oh, heaven forbid, if they really knew what was going on in here, what would they really think of me? If they knew the turmoil that was going on in my mind and in my heart, and the doubts that I have, would they even think of me as a Christian? You know what I'm talking about. You don't have to live like that. You don't. There is a victory that comes from trusting in Jesus. There is an absolute victory that comes from that. Learning to trust is what we're doing. You know, we trusted him. The thing I find amazing in Christians is that they came to a point in their life where God opened up their eyes and they said, Lord, now I can't save myself. I'm going to trust my eternal soul to you. Didn't we do that? I trust my eternal soul. I trust that when I die, you're going to take me to heaven to be with you. Didn't we say that? Yeah, we can't trust him for a day-to-day thing over here. We can't trust him on our daily things for little decisions that we have to make. We don't trust him daily in our lives. We can trust him for heaven, but we can't trust that he can take care of us now. We get so wrapped up in the things of this world that it's almost like, what's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to us? What are you going to do? Tell me the worst thing that can happen to you. Hit by a bus, lose your house, lose your money, lose your job, lose all your friends. Does any of that really count? Does any of that really count with respect to what you and I actually have? There is nothing that compares to what we have in this world. You can lose it all and you still have, you're still richer than everyone else in the world. So remember who you are. If you're tempted to think, woe is me, look how bad my life is, or look at what I don't have, or what's happened to me, please remind yourself of what the Lord went through, first of all, for you and I. He gave it up all for you and I. If we lose this thing over here, which sometimes we tend to make look like that, really? Let's put, keep things in perspective here, guys. Let's live knowing that Jesus has already won this victory for us and he expects us to have his victory. God does not save us and expect us to stay the same way we are. Would you agree with me? Okay, so he's working with us to help us to grow. There's a thing called sanctification, all right, for, the, for every Christian. And as soon as we're saved... The Bible says God takes us out of this world and he puts us on a pedestal and he, he separates us to himself. But we're still in the world, Lord. I know you've put me on the side on the pedestal over there. Thanks for that. 
You're preparing me a place in heaven. Thanks for that. We're seated already in heavenly places with Christ. Thank you for that as well. But Lord, what's going on here? Uh, why am I still struggling? Well, you're still struggling because you've lost sight of that. You've forgotten who you actually are. If, if we, really, we realised who we actually are, we'd change the way we act. We would change the way we act. The Lord expects his children to have the victory. And you know how you have the victory? By believing in the Lord. By believing in what he says. Because if his word says you can have victory, if you, the moment you say to yourself, no, 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 that can't be true. Can't have victory. Guess what you're going to do? Well, guess what you're not going to have? Is victory. When you doubt God's word, you will not claim the benefit of it. Remember, the first thing I need you to understand today, and we'll, have to, we'll probably have to wrap it up now, is that there is victory in Jesus Christ. And that victory comes by faith. The very faith that you exercised when you put your faith in him and said, Lord, I trust you for what you, who you are and what you've done, is the same faith we need to exercise every day when we read his word. It's the same faith. And if his word says it, I'm going to say, Lord, regardless of what this world's telling me, regardless of what my flesh is telling me, I'm going to believe your word. Because faith, victory comes by faith. And faith comes by the word of God. And when you put those two things together, you can't lose. You will grow. You'll have your battles where you're going up and down a little bit. But you know something? Your path will be on the upward and you look back at your life six months ago and a year ago and you will see growth when you doubt when you say i don't believe what god's word says then don't expect to grow don't expect to have victory in your life when you put down your swords when you put down the helmet of salvation and the the breastplate of righteousness and the sword of the, the spirit and you know the shield of faith you put down faith please Put down faith and you've dropped a shield. What are you going to do when the devil starts throwing darts and arrows at you? You can't defend yourself anymore. So faith is the fundamental thing that we need to understand to have victory in our lives. We have to believe. And when you believe, all things are possible with God. But when you don't believe... You've put yourself at the mercy of your enemy. And he's not very merciful. So I'm going to leave that there today. I wanted to speak to you about those three, about three areas of vulnerability that the flesh has. But we'll leave it at that. Because I want, I'd rather leave you with that thought. I want you to understand that we are living in enemy territory. But that this world is not our home. We carry around the flesh... We are in the world which is subject to Satan's kingdom and Satan is trying to keep us subdued because we are the biggest threat to him. We are the biggest threat to him. Okay, God works in us and we are God's lights in the world. Not our own lights, we're God's lights. So that's why Jesus says a light can't, you don't hide a light under a bushel, 
under, under some sort of a covering. You've got to put it on top of the hill. Don't live your life hidden as a Christian. Live your life out. Live your life telling everyone what God's done for you. And have no fear because Jesus has won the victory already. God bless you. Let's, uh, let's, let's just close in a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we once again come to you with, um, with thanks and praise. You have shown yourself to be faithful and loving and kind and merciful. And Father, we have put our faith in what you have done for us. The love that you displayed for us is something that we, we even now can't understand. But Lord, we pray that the love of Christ will constrain us, will compel us to live lives for him. As we understand how much you have forgiven us, I pray that we would learn to forgive. When we understand how much you've loved us, I pray that we would learn more how to love. When we understand that Jesus has already won the victory for us, I pray that we would keep our eyes on him as the captain of our faith, the captain of our salvation, as he leads us into battle. We pray that we would be good ambassadors for you in this world, that we would speak the truth in love, and that we would speak the truth with boldness to the people around us. Teach us your ways. Humble us before yourself. Help us to be the people you would have us to be. Not for our sake, but for yours. I pray this in Jesus' name.